This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Last week, President Trump said there was a breakthrough on one of his signature campaign promises, negotiating a trade deal with China. Right now, the United States has reportedly reached a deal in principle with China. Under the New Deal, China will buy more American products in return. The U.S. will not hit China with additional tariffs. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer says this is the first step in rebalancing the trade relationship with China. He adds that this is this announcement comes after a year of standoffs between the U.S. and China. Both sides say they want new terms for a trade partnership, but they're also playing hardball. And in trying to get China to the negotiating table, the U.S. has levied tariffs on a wide range of Chinese goods, mostly items that are used by businesses, things like textiles, minerals, and machinery. China has consistently responded with tariffs of its own, and many American businesses have found themselves stuck in the middle. Today on the show, we look back on the year that was in tariffs, how American businesses have struggled to adapt, and where things now stand between the U.S. and China. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, December 20th. There has been an emerging consensus over the last 10 years or so that there has been a problem with China and trade, um, but there has never been any consensus about what to do about it. Jake Schlesinger covers the economy and politics. The truth is, up until 2017, no one really did much about it. Donald Trump campaigned on a pledge saying China is ripping us off. We're going to put an end to this. Put an end to things like cheap Chinese imports that have hurt U.S. manufacturers and put an end to China's policy of forcing U.S. companies to hand over trade secrets in order to do business there. The president took a, a much more bold and blunt approach, which was to say, you know, until China changes its practices that we think are hurting the United States, we are going to impose massive tariffs on most, if not all, of the goods they sell to us and either force them to change their ways or essentially decouple the world's two largest economies. It all started in 2018 when Trump put tariffs on nearly half of all exports that China sends to the U.S., or more than $200 billion worth of goods. There are two main goals behind this for the Trump administration. The first is that by making it more expensive to import goods from China, it would encourage U.S. manufacturers to make more stuff in America— the second goal is to put enough pressure on the Chinese economy to force the Chinese government to negotiate. And that strategy marked a major shift in U.S. trade policy. There's always uncertainty when you have a change in policy, and there's been a very clear change in how the U.S. views trade under President Trump compared with his predecessors. But it's also the way that this president and this administration have carried out these policies. It would be one thing if they came in with a very clear vision and followed it consistently. 
But it does seem to sort of ping pong around a lot where one day the tariffs are on, another day the tariffs are off. I mean, it is like riding a roller coaster and it's had its fits and starts and has its moments of ebullience and depression. I mean, it really is a kind of manic process through much of this administration. Many U.S. businesses have had to ride this roller coaster throughout 2019. But in the first few months, it looked like the ride would be short as the U.S. and China appeared to be nearing a deal. So for small business owners like Travis Luther, the founder of Queen Anne Pillow Company in Denver, the year started out in a pretty optimistic place. I thought, okay, there was probably going to be a deal done and everyone thought there would be a deal done. So I, I just kind of continued to leave it to the, to the professionals, if you will, and just kind of assume things would be the way they were. Then in May, the trade war roller coaster kicked into high gear. Just when it looked like China and the U.S. were about to reach an agreement, the deal fell apart when China asked for a bunch of new changes. They took many, many parts of that deal and they renegotiated. You can't do that. Trump's response was to call off the talks and jack up tariffs even more. At the time, most of the tariffs on Chinese goods were at 10%. Trump increased those tariffs to 25%. Breaking news overnight. Right at midnight, President Trump imposed new tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese products. The tariff affects auto parts, furniture, agricultural products. This is when Jake says things got really painful. What most businesses would say is that the 10% tariff level was a bit of an irritant, but one they could work with and work around and find ways of adjusting. But the 25% level was set in a way to be prohibitive. So where does that leave U.S. businesses? They have been scrambling to find alternatives, um, alternative ways of doing business, alternative supply chains uh, out of China to countries like Vietnam. Some companies have been unable to get what they need. Some have gone out of business. Some have raised prices. So it's a ripple effect adjustment process. In the hopes of softening the blow to American consumers, the U.S. mostly raised tariffs on things businesses use, like raw materials and equipment. And for small businesses like Travis Luther's pillow company, that posed a problem because he makes his pillows partly out of raw materials imported from China. By May, I realized, okay, I've got to, I really got to take this seriously. We looked at what was going to be hit by tariffs and what of those things were a part of our business that were coming from China. Rather than pay the higher tariffs, he looked for a way around them. The tariffs did not apply to the import of um, what we call pillow tickings, which is the cotton shell that the stuffing is filled with. And what we found out was that if we stopped importing bulk cotton fabric and instead we imported finished cotton tickings, meaning rather than cut and sew the material ourselves, we let the factories in China cut and sew it for us, that we Hmm. were actually going to be excluded from the tariff. In other words, he could avoid the tariffs by having the pillowcases mostly assembled in China instead of the U.S. That sounds like almost the opposite of the purpose of the tariffs. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I've just been so dumbfounded as to what is going on here and what is the purpose of all this madness. There are some U.S. industries that benefited from the tariffs, specifically those that compete directly with Chinese companies whose products are now much more expensive But for many others, like Travis Luther, the tariffs meant either finding a workaround or suffering the pain of higher costs. 
And inside the Trump administration, Jake says there was a debate about how long the U.S. could withstand this kind of pain. So you do have some Trump advisors who have been worried all along that this kind of escalation of the trade war would be damaging. You have fewer of them now than you did earlier in the administration. But U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, on the other hand, has been much firmer in his belief that even if there is some pain that comes from imposing tariffs on China, these are things that are necessary and need to be done. And whatever is the short-term pain that the U.S. will incur, it does not compare to the long-term damage that he believes China is doing with its current practices, and the trade-off is worth it to him. After the break, the trade war escalates yet again as the Trump administration makes its biggest tariff threat yet. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. From the summer into the fall, the trade war between the U.S. and China continued in fits and starts, with some new tariffs popping up along the way. But hanging over all of it was Trump's biggest threat of all, tariffs on pretty much everything that China exports to the U.S. On several occasions when talks would stall, he'd set a deadline for when these bigger tariffs would kick in. When talks would pick back up, the deadline would be pushed back. The uncertainty around that moving deadline was hard on many small business owners. Like Susan White Morrissey, the CEO of White & Warren, a small business that sells cashmere sweaters in New York. We called her to talk tariffs on a particularly cold morning this week. It's definitely sweater weather, that's for sure. Sweater weather, oh my God, it's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So first, can you just tell me about your your company? I founded it 23 years ago, and we uh, have continued to thrive every year, Um, been profitable every year but one, I'm proud to say, until this year. Susan White Morrissey ships her cashmere sweaters from China, and she says that as the two countries clash this year, she tried to stay one step ahead of each new tariff deadline. Things were pushed out, and then they were pushed out again. So we kept airing our product in, which we never do. Why were Um, you airing it in, flying it in? We were airing it in because if we brought the goods in, if they left Hong Kong on a plane and they got here before the date, I see. Then we wouldn't have to pay the tariff. So, I see. so you were spending more to fly your product from China to the U.S. because the the shipping takes so much longer that you thought that you could get more stuff here before the tariff would go into absolutely. effect. Absolutely, yes. I see. And we were buying more than we normally would sooner because, again, because of 
trying to get as much product here before the tariff hit, and then they were pushed out. So we just have to plan for the worst and hope for the best. I sound like my father talking now, <laughs> but it's true, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's not. it doesn't feel good to spend over $100,000 on air freight when I didn't have to. And it doesn't feel good to not turn a profit. Toward the end of the summer, the monster tariffs the Trump administration kept pushing back finally got set for December 15th. And then, just days before last week's deadline, the U.S. and China said they reached a preliminary deal. What they called it was a phase one agreement. And phase one uh, agreement means by no means have they settled all of their outstanding issues. But for the first time, they appear to have actually agreed on a document that they said they could sign and they could agree to and they could live with. As a result of that agreement, uh, the administration agreed to delay indefinitely the imposition of the tariffs that were scheduled to go into effect on December 15th and also to scale back the levels on some tariffs that had been posed earlier. What was it that brought them back to the table? I think a few things. I mean, the Chinese themselves, I think, felt like they are paying a considerable price for the trade war and wanted to see if a deal could be made. You know, looking again back through the prism of the U.S., we're getting closer to an election year. You know, the president, I think, believes his reelection, you know, rests uh, pretty significantly on the state of the U.S. economy. I think he felt in particular that he wanted to end this year showing progress in general on trade to say, look, we're remaking American trade policy, but we can also make deals. It's not just about disruption. Specifics of the phase one deal aren't yet fully public, but the U.S. says that China has promised to purchase more goods from the U.S., in particular agricultural goods. President Trump called the deal phenomenal, and his chief trade negotiator, Robert Lighthizer, said the agreement marked a crucial development in the trading relationship between the U.S. and China. But many trade experts who have been following this drama over the past two years remain skeptical about the significance of what China has really promised and whether those pledges will really stick. And Travis Luther of Queen Anne Pillow has similar questions after his year on the trade war roller coaster. So when you heard then that there was going to be this phase one agreement that President Trump and China have recently announced, what did you think well, I thought, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, with this tariff, I, I, I feel like we're all sitting around this Monopoly game, and, and then Trump comes through like a dog and just like walks on top of it and shakes everything up um, going into 2020. What concerns me is this continued unpredictability that our costs could go up. You know, we continue to let opportunities go by because we, we can't commit to things because we don't know how much cash we're going to have or what we're going to need to do with that cash. The U.S. and China say that a more comprehensive Phase 2 deal will be discussed in 2020, which will likely include things the Phase 1 deal didn't resolve, like China's practice of subsidizing Chinese businesses. Do you think that if there is a trade deal next year or the year after, is it possible that it would sort of undo the pain that they felt? Or do we pass a certain point by which you can't sort of make contingency plans anymore and you actually start to have to start feeling that pain? That's a really good question. I, I think that let's assume you reach the deal, as you say, next year um, or beyond that. In a lot of ways, business patterns will have changed. I mean, first of all, for companies that have gone out of business, you know, they can't go back into business for companies that have rerouted their supply chains. 
you know, they're already then invested in their new business arrangement and it's hard to undo those. And so, you know, it's not as if you can just go back and, and, and turn the spigot back on. And so, again, to give the Trump administration side on this, they believe that there have been gains as well. Uh, and they think that those gains would be sustainable, whether it's American companies expanding production in the U.S. to fill the void, or if they believe that, you know, the result of the trade war is that China has materially changed its behavior, has become a much better actor, has opened up its market, then those are clear and quantifiable gains that may offset whatever pain was instilled in order to get to that result. That's all for today, Friday, December 20th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. We are your hosts. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. Special thanks to Ruth Simon for additional reporting on this episode. The Journal is produced by Annie Minoff, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, and Rob Zipko. Our senior producer is Pia Gadkari. Annie Rose Strasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. Our executive producer is Gerard Cole. Our theme music is by Haley Shaw. Additional music this week from Marcus Begala, Bobby Lord, Billy Libby, Peter Leonard, and Blue Dot Sessions. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.